We're going to be in Acts chapter number 19 tonight. Acts chapter number 19. As we're talking on the business of assuming things and, and starting to understand the patterns of God and the way God moves and the way God works, and God is always the same. He's always remained the same. He's unchanging. However, He is sovereign. He can choose to do things in different ways at different times. He can choose to use techniques and use methods that sometimes may seem strange to us. We don't understand to us. And it gets very dangerous to always assume His presence and always assume His uh, the things that He allows us to do are always going to be there. And we should never hesitate to thank Him. And as we closed in chapter number 18, we see Paul leave Apollos there in Corinth and He's moving city to city, and he'd begin to see a pattern. He'd begin to see uh, exactly as he was moving through his missionary journey, and he would move into a city, and he would find shelter. He'd find a place to take refuge, whether it was in somebody's home or uh, this, that, or the other. He would find a place to set up base camp, and then he would begin to uh, go to the synagogues, go to the Jews, and then go to the Greeks, go to the ones who were not looking for God in any way, and, and preach Jesus unto them and give them the gospel. And he would begin to see them... Uh, saved and the Holy Spirit would move and the Holy Spirit would work and then he would plant churches and he would uh, disciple them and teach them. We know this was something that took Paul some time and then he'd move on to the next city and uh, pretty much start from scratch, start again in the next city. And we're going to begin reading tonight in Acts chapter number 19 and stand when you found it and you're at verse number one. He comes into a, a city called Ephesus and he begins to go through his process. And step number one of Paul's process and mission work was to find some like-minded people uh, to become acquainted with, to set up some sort of base camp or at least witness to some people. And then once they got saved, to set up some form of base camp. But he, he found some disciples who uh, seemed to be kind of like him and seemed to be of the same mindset. But he found something quite unexpected. In Acts chapter number 19, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So you'd think as Paul found these disciples, he would begin to go through his missionary process. He'd begin to set up a base camp or set up a refuge and then from there begin to go and teach and preach. But we see something different would happen in verse number two. He said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be an Holy Ghost. Then he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Tonight I want to preach on this thought. The Holy Ghost... Never heard of it. When Paul asked these men, when Paul asked these people, these disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, the Holy Ghost? Never heard of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the simplicity of it. God, let us not to overcomplicate it. Keep me out of the way. Keep man's wisdom out of the way. Let your spirit and your truth shine forth tonight. Speak to your church, your family, as you already have in so many ways. God, I thank you for everything you've done, everything you're going to do. We'll be careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
You see Paul come to the coast of Ephesus. You see Paul come to the city and he finds certain disciples and no doubt he got excited. No doubt he was like, These are where, this is where I'm going to continue my missionary process. These are some men, maybe some women that I can join myself to to launch base camp. And he started to notice that they were just a little bit different, that the people that he had been preaching to, the people who had been getting saved, whatever it was about these people, we'll get farther into that in a little bit in a minute, that something wasn't quite right. And it, we know that because it caused him to ask this question, have ye received the Holy Ghost? Now, we know if, if he knew they had received him, if he could tell they had received him, if they had, uh, were doing things in the Holy Ghost, if they were doing things that the Holy Ghost motivated them to do, he wouldn't have asked this question, but something was a little off. And he asked them the question, have ye received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we've never heard of it. In verse number two, uh, at the end of verse number two, since ye believed, and they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be and Holy Ghost. And you, would under, and you would begin to understand, even in this city of Ephesus, even in this city that Paul had been through a little bit here and there, that the Word of God had spread to, that there were people in that city that had never heard of the Holy Ghost, yet they were calling themselves disciples. Yet when Paul came into the city, he could see these people were like-minded as him, were maybe... <coughs> uh, acted and spoke kind of like him. And for whatever reason, he put his eyes on these people. But as he began to get close, as he began to start talking to him and conversating with him, conversing with him, he asked them the question, have you not received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we've never even heard of it. And, how, and sometimes you could ask the question, would it be possible to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Would it be possible to go to church every Sunday? Would it be possible to be a disciple, be somebody here in Ephesus that would welcome Paul in and, and grab the preacher and say, come stay with us, preacher. Come be with us, preacher. And never have heard of the Holy Ghost. How could something like this transpire? How could something like this take place as... <clears throat> um, a preacher, it has always been my aim and it has always been my goal to stick with the scriptures and to not go too far out into telling stories and go too far out into telling jokes or to go too far out into giving this, too many illustrations and too many metaphors because it's very tempting to get into books and to get into uh, pictures and get into stories and before you know it, you'll read one verse and then tell 40 stories and it's been 45 minutes and everybody was ready to go home but you never really preached scripture and I've always been very careful not to do that. However, I do look at the life of of Christ and I do look at the way he preached and the way he taught and there was many times Jesus gave parables earthly stories with heavenly meanings and there was many times he would tell a story and he would use metaphor and he would use simile to bring it to our level so tonight that's what I'm going to seek to do I'm going to try to paint a picture of the severity and the intensity and exactly what was taking place when Paul walked up to these disciples and said, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they're plainly looking at him and going, what in the world is the Holy Ghost? We don't know what you're talking about. Is it like a goat, like, woo, like a, with, a, with a blanket, with a sheet? What, what are you talking about, Paul? Are you talking about, you know, those things that, uh, that, that float around at night, those scary things? Are we supposed to be scared of it? You know, is it going to jump out of our Bibles and yell boo at us? You know, that they truly were looking at him in bewilderment. They did not have a clue what this man was talking about. And Paul, no doubt, was bewildered. And he asked the same question. How did this happen? How could these men be calling themselves disciples and have never even heard of the Holy Ghost? How something like that could happen? I want to tell you the story tonight of a man named Hiru Anuda. Hiru Anuda. He was a lieutenant in the Japanese army in World War II. 
Hiru Anuda was a brave soldier that fought for the country of Japan in the, war, the Second World War. And he was a soldier that was willing to serve his country, to serve his orders, no matter what the cost. Hiru Anuda found himself in the Pacific Theater, otherwise known as the Island Hopping Campaigns. You see, the way this works is the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Marines began to infiltrate the most southernmost islands of the Philippines, and their end goal was Japan. Their end goal was to be able to one day invade the country of Japan, and they would go from one island to the next island to the next island. And the Japanese fought them every step of the way. As you may have seen some 4th of July videos, and you see them raising that flag there on Iwo Jima, and you see them raising that flag on the top of the mountain, that classic scene of American uh, prevailing in a battle at that Battle of Iwo Jima, that was in the very island hopping campaign. When you hear of the name Semper Fi that the Marines say to one another, that was an island called Semper Fidelis, and that was an island in the island hopping campaign. And this Japanese lieutenant named Hiru Anuda was stationed uh, at an island called Lubang Island. And he was given orders by his commanding officer to be stationed at that island and to be a reconnaissance soldier. He, his job was to look and, take and get intelligence and, and video or take pictures of at that time and day, take pictures of the uh, American soldiers, the American forces. He would have been tasked with trying to explain to the Japanese what kind of airplanes they had, what kind of guns they had. You see, because they were using his island of Lubang as an airfield, as a place for them to land, as a place for them to refuel. The, the Allied forces, the American forces there were coming on that island and he was given orders to use guerrilla warfare if necessary if he needed to fight if he needed to attack those American soldiers and he needed to shoot some or he needed to defend against position he was given orders to do that but his main mission was to gather gather intelligence gather recon gather pictures and to take these photographs and to send them up the chain up the chain of command and to let the Japanese know what was going on we know that there was a great battle on this island and uh, it left him with about 10 soldiers and upon that, he was given orders to remain on the island and that his uh, commanding officers would be back to get him. And he was to remain on that island, continue to rec collect reconnaissance, being that he only had 10 soldiers against an entire airfield of Allied troops. His orders were not to attack anymore. His orders were not to try to... His orders were to stay on the mountains and the jungle, to stay up hidden in places and use his position, use his camouflage to be able to come in and take pictures of those Allied forces and send them back to the Japanese. Hiro Inuda took these orders very, very seriously. In fact, if you know much about the Japanese army, that in times of defeat, in times of surrender, in times where you're outnumbered 10 to 1,000, many times the Japanese soldiers would commit suicide. They would take their own lives because they thought that that was more honorable than letting their enemies kill them or surrendering to the enemy. So Hiro Inuda's Soldiers and his commanding officers told him, you're not allowed to do that. You are supposed to stay on this island. You are not allowed to commit suicide. You are not allowed to die by your own hand. You are to stay on this island until we come back and get you. You are to take the pictures. You are to gather intelligence. And you are to stay entrenched in this jungle until we come back to get you. They told him, we don't know how long this war is going to last. It may take one year. It may take five years. It may take ten years. But we will be back to get you, Mr. Hiru. We know that this soldier, it's a fact of history, that this soldier <coughs> stayed on this island uh, for 30 years. 
30 years he stayed in that jungle. Uh, about a year after being stationed there in September of 1945, we know that shortly before that, about in August, we dropped two atomic bombs on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the Japanese army did surrender in September of 1945. However, shortly after that, about six months later, they began to drop leaflets all over the islands because the Japanese knew they had soldiers out in these jungles, out in these islands, and they knew that there were soldiers still there that did not know the war was over and did not know. And when those pamphlets or those papers began to fall from the sky as the airplanes would fall over, it would simply read, war is over. Japan surrendered on September 15th or, August, or September 15th, 1945. The war is over. Come down from the mountain. Turn yourself into the Philippine troops. Turn yourself into the allies. The war is over. As Hiru and Nuda began to read these words, began to read these leaflets that were falling down from the sky, he thought it was simply a trap. He thought it was simply a trick that the allied forces were doing to try to get him to come out of the jungle. This soldier was so dedicated and could not believe that his country could possibly surrender. He knew his country of Japan had never surrendered, that they would never surrender, that there was nothing in the world that could cause them to want to surrender, that they would fight to the last man. That was their culture. That was their belief. But when faced with the truth of the war is over, he refused to surrender. Years go by. Years go by. They would move into the villages there on uh, Lagunda Island and they would be taking reconnaissance pictures of people's farms and people's, they begin to kind of lose their minds a little bit and they would be taking pictures of, of farmers working and the farmers would get nervous about seeing these wild men coming out of the jungle in their military uniforms and there would be small skirmishes, there would be small firefights with these men because they, they are thinking that everything's a plot, everything's the allied forces trying to trick them and trying to bait them out. And before long, Hiro Anuda was the only man left. And either everyone that was under him had either died in these small firefights or they had ran away because they realized that, hey, maybe the war really is over. I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to leave and I'm going to desert. So we find this man 30 years later in 1974, still in the jungle, still wearing his very tattered uniform, still carrying his standard issue equipment. And an explorer comes through. It was actually a biogra biographical wildlife photographer in 1974 is scouring the jungles of this island taking pictures of wildlife and he finds this Japanese soldier. Now keep in mind it has been 30 years. Some of you know this generation. Some of you live this generation. How much had changed between 1945 and 1974? How much had changed during that time? Technology had exploded. Communications had exploded. The war was over. But this man for 30 years had been in the jungle ready to die, ready to fight for Japan because he did not believe, he refused to understand that the war was over. This, this explorer beckoned with him, trying to convince him that the war was over. He began to say, Mr. Anuda, Mr. Hiru Anuda, you don't understand. The war is over. They, 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 uh, they completely surrendered back in 1945. You cannot be serious. This is, not, this is not really happening. And he was so firm and grounded in his belief, the explorer could not convince him to come out of the jungle. As a matter of fact, the Japanese soldier, Mr. Anuda, almost killed the explorer over the argument. And the explorer got to the point where he that there's only one way this man's coming out of the mountain. There's only one man this man's going to listen to. And he goes back and he finds his commanding officer that stationed him there. His name was Major Hoshimi Taniguchi. And Hoshimi Taniguchi was his commanding officer that said, we will be back to get you. Well, when the Japanese surrendered, those armies were disbanded. They were squashed out and they never went back to get Mr. Anuda. Well, 
Come to find out here 30 years later, this explorer goes to this retired Japanese uh, captain and says, you left a man on Lagunda Island and he's still there 30 years later. He does not believe the war has ended. And the only one that he's going to believe is the one who told him to stay there. The only one that he's going to believe is the one who charged him to stay there until he returns. So, Mr. Sir, we need you. The captain agreed. He goes to the island and he, he went... And he relieved Mr. Anuda from his orders uh, <clears throat> in March of 1974. The man that surrendered to the Allies' army 30 years after the war had ended. His journey was finally over. Can you imagine the social impact on that man walking out of a jungle into a literal, a whole new world? A world that was no longer on fire. A world that was no longer bombing each other and raiding each other and... and there was nothing that could convince him that his country could have surrendered. And that was because there was nothing in his mind that man could conjure up, that America could do, that Germany could do, that Russia could do, to force those Japanese soldiers, that Japanese country, to give up. What he didn't know was, what he had not heard about, was the atomic bomb. What he had not known about, what he had not known the existence of, was the bomb that was the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And these two lone bombs completely flattened and eradicated the populations of two entire cities. While this man was in the jungle, willing to fight to the last man, not surrendering, what he didn't know was, was that the rules of engagement, the rules of war had drastically, drastically changed. And he missed out on the fact that his country was in danger of extermination from the air, from extermination from these atomic bombs. And that was what caused the Japanese to surrender. That had not there been an atomic bomb, maybe they would have fought to the last man. Maybe we would have had to invade Japan, which any American soldier of the time would tell you they did not want to do. They had seen the fierceness and the ferocity of the enemy of the Japanese, and we didn't want to invade Japan. We didn't want to go on their shores. We knew that it would be a terrible fight. We knew that we would have thousands and thousands of casualties. That's why they decided to drop those bombs. How in the world could a man have been in a jungle for 30 years? And as he walked out of the jungle and when he was confronted with all the truths that had happened and all the facts and all the things of history, and he would have asked the question, the atomic bomb? Never heard of it. The nuclear warhead? Never heard of it. That is the severity of what Paul's walking into here. When he's walking to this group of disciples there at Ephesus and he's coming to a place where he thinks he's going to have contact with Christians, he thinks he's going to have contact with people of the faith, and they're looking at him going, Holy Ghost? Never heard of it. No doubt the emotions would begin to fly and you'd begin to question, how in the world could they miss it? And do they realize what they missed? The Holy Ghost. Never heard of it. First of all, they've missed and they didn't know the tenets of the Holy Ghost. They didn't know the truths of the Holy Ghost. You see, when they came and, and Paul began to deal with them and Paul began to conversate with them, something wasn't right. No doubt he could probably tell that these people were not alive like the rest of the people that he met that had the Holy Ghost. These people were not awake like the rest of the people that knew what the Holy Ghost was. These people had not been changed. These people had not been dealt with. And it begged him to ask the question, 
Have you not received the Holy Ghost? You see, because the tenets of the Holy Ghost are life and also holiness. He may have saw things in their lives that they were doing. He may have saw things in their lives that they were saying or they were acting out on that had no business being associated with the Holy Spirit of God. And he began to look at these people and question, have you not received the Holy Ghost? And they said, never heard of it. Not only did they miss out on the tenets of the Holy Ghost, but they didn't know the truth of the Holy Ghost. They missed the forest for the trees. You see, they had put their trust in a ritual, a ceremony. They said, well, we're here because of the baptism of John. They, remember John the Baptist that was baptizing there in that Jordan River? These were some of the men. These were some of the disciples that got in line. These were some of the disciples that when John the Baptist was dunking them in the Jordan River and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's one coming after me who's latched on a shoe I am unworthy to untie. There's one that's coming. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There's one that's coming. As they were standing in line, no doubt they were probably talking about nachos. They were probably talking about hot dogs. They were probably wondering where they were going to eat for lunch. And they got up to the front of the line and they had heard nothing John said and they stood to the front of the line and they, they went back into the Jordan River. They got up from the Jordan River. They said, alright, we've done our duty. We've went through the ceremony. We've went through the ritual. And they walked on. And now couple years later they find themselves in Ephesus and they've missed it. They've not just missed the Holy Ghost, they've missed the Holy Son of God. Because they were just putting their trust in a ceremony. They were just putting their trust in a ritual. They were just putting their trust in a man. In the man John the Baptist. Paul said, have you not received the Holy Ghost? By what have you been baptized? What in the world is going on with you guys? And they said, well, well John baptized us. I, I went to church when I was a kid. I, I signed the prayer card. I, 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 I wrote something at summer camp down on a piece of paper and my friend got in line and their friend got in line so I got in line too and I wrote it down and, they're, and he's saying, you've missed it. What do you mean you've never heard of the Holy Ghost? They had never heard of the Holy Ghost because they had never heard of the one who sent the Holy Ghost. You see, the message of John the Baptist was never put your trust in me. The message of John the Baptist, as Paul points out, was to believe in the one who would come after him. But these men, these disciples, simply went through the motions of John the Baptist and walked away from John the Baptist thinking they had it all together. They've been dunked in this river. They've been baptized under this man, this righteous man, and now they think everything's good to go. But when Paul saw them and when Paul could really begin to dissect their behavior, there was not something right there. And they missed the Savior. They missed the Son. You will never meet the Holy Ghost until you meet the Son. You see, the way this works is you call upon the name of the Lord to save you. You meet the Son. When the gospel is presented to you, he, it is presented to you in the way that Jesus Christ came and He lived a sinless life and He fulfilled every jot and every tittle of the law and He went to the cross of Calvary and He died and was buried and He rose again. Once you come to grips with who the Son is, it is at that point, once you realize that it was your sins that nailed Him to the cross, once you realize that it was your sins that He came to save, once you realize that it was your sins that He blotted out and remembers no more, once you come to grips and you realize and you understand who the Son is, then the Holy Spirit begins to beckon with you. Then the Holy Ghost begins to deal with your heart. Then the Holy Ghost begins to draw you down to the Father. But, you see, these people had missed the Son altogether because they were just looking at a man. Think of what they've missed out on. They missed out on the entire ministry of Jesus because they got in with John the Baptist and thought that was it. Reminds me of the young man who, over the summer vacation, he went to Disney World. 
And he came back to school. School started back. And they said, little Johnny, what, what did you do over summer break? And he said, I went to Disney World. And they said, wow, did you, did you ride the, the, the Mickey Mouse ride? Or did you ride the Buzz Lightyear ride? Or did you ride the Toy Story ride? Or did you do this? And, and he said, what? What are you talking about? They said, what do you mean, little Johnny? Didn't you ride this? Didn't you ride that? Didn't you go into the park and enjoy it? There's so many great things at Disney World. And he said, no, but I got to tell you about the trolley. What, what, what are you talking about, little John? When I got out of my car, there was this trolley. And you got on, and they would carry you around the parking lot. And they'd take you as far, and you could see cars by the thousands. There were cars to the left. There were cars to the right. And I was just so infatuated with this trolley. When they pulled up to the gate, I looked over into Disney World, and I looked over. And those rides, they look fast, and they look scary. And I just saw this trolley. It was so peaceful. It was nice. They had the glasses of water for you to drink. And I I spent the entire day, my whole family went in, but I spent the entire day riding around the parking lot because I was so fascinated with this trolley. I was so fascinated with seeing all the different cars in the parking lot. I was so fa Have you ever seen a trolley that is a mile long that goes around Disney World parking? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, those, those people carriers. He said, this trolley, this parking lot was so huge, I just couldn't get over it. I want to tell you all about the parking lot. And no doubt the class is going... Did you not go in? Can you imagine all the, the rides of a lifetime you could have been on if you had just simply punched your ticket and walked through the gate? Can you imagine the ride of a lifetime you'd have got on Space Mountain? Can you imagine when you went and you went through those movie rides and you got to meet Mickey Mouse and you got to meet all these characters from the, your favorite movies, Johnny? Can you imagine? He said, you, you don't understand the, the parking lot. It was great. That, all, that stuff, that, that just seemed a little too scary for me. That's us when we miss it. When we're presented with a ritual, we're presented with a man, we're presented with a ceremony, and we think that's it. It's like walking up to the gates of Disney World and going, that's, that's too scary. I'm just going to fill a pew. I'm just going to check a box. I'm just going to, how in the world could you be this much, th this far into the ministry, this far into the local church and have never heard of the Holy Ghost? Because you never punched your ticket. You never went through the gate. You never went through the door. You never met the Son. You never got right with the Father. They missed the tenets of the Holy Ghost. They missed the truth of the Holy Ghost. And Lord help us, it's 554. <coughs> We'll go through these fast, but they didn't know the testimony of the Holy Ghost. You see, I want to address this thing in verse number six. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Anytime tongues is talked about in Scripture, it is talking about a real language. When they spoke in the, in the day of Pentecost, it was real languages and it was languages that they did not know. It was languages that Peter couldn't have spoke without the Holy Ghost. John couldn't have spoke without the Holy Ghost. But they were real languages because it says that each man that heard them heard them in their own tongue. They understood it. And they said, how in the world could these men speak German? They're from Galilee. How in the world could these men speak Assyrian? You know, they're from Galilee. How in the world could these men uh, speak... Tulsa, like the, the missionary came from this morning in South Africa. How in the world could they speak these languages? These are fishermen. They must be drunk. And remember on Pentecost, he said, we're not drunk. We're full of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost gave us, that's the tongues we see here, and prophesied. Begin to preach, begin to say the truth of the Word of God, begin to tell the things about Christ. That was the evidence that the Holy Ghost 
had moved into their hearts. And they needed that evidence because the Word of God had not been written yet. The complete New Testament had not been written yet. They didn't have anything to back up what just happened like we do. You see, the Bible says, when that which is perfect has come, these things shall cease. And we know that that which is perfect has come. It is called the completed writ of Scripture. It is called the Bible that's sitting in your laps. We have every answer we need. We have every shred of evidence we need. We have everything we need to back up a true biblical salvation and a true indwelling of the Holy Ghost right here. We don't need tongues anymore. We don't need these great signs and wonders that they did. Those were real. Those did happen. Those are done. Why? Because we have our Bible. Now, there is still evidence of being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. They're called the what? The fruits of the Spirit. Those are listed in Galatians 5, verse 22. And this is what Paul didn't see. Where is all this going? You told this big story. You talked to us about Disney World. Where is all this going? Is it possible that a person could come in Anchor of Hope Baptist Church and go, have you not received the Holy Ghost? And somebody in this church look at them and say, Holy Ghost? Never heard of it. That person would be somebody who did not know what the fruits of the Spirit, whose life did not produce the fruits of a life that is indwelt in following the Holy Ghost. Those fruits are love, agape love, unconditional love, love that's not dependent on what they can offer you, love for people that maybe have shamed you, maybe have hurt you, but you love them anyway, the love of Christ, the love of God that constraineth us, the love of God that reaches past any outside appearance, any outside propaganda, any out, and you love people for the soul that they are and the creation that they are. That's a fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have that, you might be one of the ones that say, Holy Ghost. Never heard of it. Love, joy from the inside out and not dependent on circumstances. When something as big as God moves in on the inside, as little, somebody as little of us, we have joy. Does that mean we don't have bad days? Yeah, we have bad days. But our life and our actions are motivated in joy. We don't draw joy from a paycheck. We don't draw joy from a lifestyle. We draw joy from knowing that when, if we laid our head in our pillow and we never woke up again, we'd spend eternity in heaven with God. That's where you draw joy from. Peace. Peace. This is a hard one, especially in 2020. That means not motivated by stress or anxiety or worry. But you have peace. How do you have peace? Because you know that there's a God in heaven who's in control. You know that there's a God in heaven who's on the throne. When you spend less time worried about who's in the Oval Office and more time worried about who's on the throne. Peace. Long-suffering. That's patience. Specifically, long-suffering specifically deals with patience, patience, patience with people. People. This is my hard one. Sometimes I get a hold of these youngins and I just want to... You know what I'm talking about? What the, is everybody following? Just... Okay? Strangle them. All ten fingers. Okay? They get me there. Then I remember the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. How do you put up with that for so long? How do you forgive them after so many letdowns? How do you? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, gentleness. Jesus was gentle with lost people. The only time you see Jesus get elevated and get into one of his fire and brimstone messages, you, you research it, was when he was dealing with that religious crowd. When he was dealing with women like the woman at the well, or the woman with the issue of blood, when he was raising from the dead, when he was dealing with lost people, people who didn't know, had never heard, 
He was the most gentle, kind, loving Savior you'll ever meet, you'll ever know. You research it out. He didn't walk up to the woman at the well and look at her and say, you're going to hell. He looked at her and said, give me a drink. Do you know who I am? I'm the well. I am the water. I will give thee living water. He came to where she was. He talked to her. But when he dealt with that religious crowd, buddy, he preached her. He got up there. Gentleness. Goodness. That means walking the walk. Brother Frank will tell you, walk the walk. Don't just talk to talk. Walk the walk. Faith means you're not motivated by fear. It means you're motivated by faith. It means you know no matter what happens, you know who wins. You've read the end of the book. You're not worried. You have faith. Meekness is humility. And meekness specifically deals with serving in a way that maybe nobody even knows you're doing it. A fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Serving in a way. Doing things, good things, for the glory of God. Where only God gets the glory. And there's maybe even no way you could get credit because no one even knows you did it. That's a fruit of the Spirit. You want to show me somebody spiritual, show me somebody who does not care where the praise goes as long as it goes to God. You show me somebody, they didn't say, they didn't read my name in the bulletin for that donation I made. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not. Meekness is. And lastly, temperance. That's con controlling those emotions. So if Paul, I'll leave us with this. If Paul came to Ross, Rossville, Ephesus, and he walked into our city, and he found these disciples, I don't believe he'd even had to ask the question. I believe he'd sit down and have church. I believe he'd say some things that might hurt our feelings. I believe he'd probably tell me to lose a few pounds. I believe he'd probably tell you, quit doing this, quit doing that, quit saying this. Paul was a pointed man. That's the reason why Paul was in this day. If Paul was in our day, he'd have done been arrested ten times over. But if Paul came to you, would he even have to ask the question? Or would you be some, one of those that would say, Holy Ghost, never heard of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your message. Thank you so much for the service we had. God, thank you for just staying with your church. Thank you for just staying with your people. Lord God, I pray that you help each and every one in this room to examine themselves. God, to know if they're aligned and walking in your Holy Spirit. God, we know that you indwell each and every believer upon salvation. The moment we kneel at the cross, repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in you, you give us the Holy Spirit of God to live and indwell, to comfort us, to bring to remembrance those scriptures you gave us, to guide us in our daily decisions, to chastise us when we make bad decisions, to keep us in the will of God, to try to give us a, a holy awakening to walk and do that which is right in your eyes. And God, I pray that we not take that for granted. We not just assume that that's going to be there, God, that we show with our works, James said, I'll show you my faith by my works, that we show the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And God, let us do it all for your name and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll see you guys Wednesday night. It's going to be a good service. Y'all don't miss Wednesday nights. We're having a good time, good services on Wednesdays. Y'all are dismissed. Be safe out there.